the question that I was trying to get at about um, like when I interjected, it was it was about like I'm just curious like w- when it comes to like protesting, or, like who can say what in a situation like that. We we used to have those guys called you know that we used to refer to as the boss or the patron of the peloton, right? If you had mm-hmm. something to say to some you know to to the higher ups, you know it was kind of like hey this this is the guy, and it was like Jalabert. Or, you know, Bjorn Reese yeah. kind of self-selected himself to be that, you know, in the 98 tour. But, you know, you know, Mario. It, and, and we're lacking that. And yeah. that's that that was my point. TJ, he could have shot to absolute stardom there if he would have, instead of just yeah. saying, bah, and following the herd. I, you know, I don't know. I know TJ is not that sort of guy. And, and yeah. I don't know if I would have been. But, like... This is what it, cycling needs is not to let so, this just be, yeah, sh- shuttled under the rug or swept under the rug. For, it has to come from the riders. The DS saying it doesn't mean anything because that DS is like in I races, mean, out of races. Say it, like. it could have been, I think, Jonathan could definitely be in Jonathan and not afraid of this sort of thing. He could actually make a statement, you know, mm. but hey, po- points mean prizes. I get it. World Tour points on the line. They, they would have lost almost everything yesterday. I would think it would be really hard to like, it seems like it almost has to be someone else. I, I get how cool that would come up. I get how like, stunning, it, how, how amazing it would be for him to do it. I really do. I understand that. Uh, I, I feel like you'd have so much pressure. I, it'd just be so conflicted and it would take so much composure. Like, I think, I think a moment. what needs to ha- what needed to happen, right, is exactly what you were saying, Bobby. You have the boss of the peloton and at the beginning of the race, right, with TJ standing next to him, he makes a statement. And so it's obviously supported by TJ, but TJ's not the one saying it because, you know, he has to remove himself from this situation because despite the fact that it's not about him, he's the face of it. That's and totally I think what I was if thinking. the riders had have done that, there's no, there's no cohesion. There's no respect amongst each other in in, in bike riding, and like they, they, like there used to be. There's no etiquette. It's just changed, and that's really bad because the sport, right, is getting pulled in a hundred different directions, and everyone's trying to think about what the future is. But if the riders had a bit of fucking power, and they had a bit of cohesion, they they swing the vote. Like they're the riders. You know what I mean? Like the race doesn't happen without them and, and that's, that's the problem right now is all the riders are too shit scared because they think that they're gonna lose their job or they don't want to go out in the limb they just want to toe the line they're like i just want to do this and get it over with and you're like and no, remember like, who's, the, you're not the, who's the promoter of this race who's the exactly, promoter of this ASO. race aso and if you start to chip with the aso mm. what's gonna happen next time that exactly. you come up for a you know and and they have that fucking power but it should yeah, they be, do and that's bullshit the, it should be freaking Bunio stepping in here and saying something, you know, like, but, but here we, here we go. And this is why it continues to happen. Former Olympic medalist and Tour de France podium finisher, coach Bobby J invites you to put your socks on. Winning and losing, training and racing, agony and defeat, all of it comes down to understanding what works and what doesn't. For that, you need an experienced and accomplished coach. From insightful analysis into our sport's most iconic races and racers, to educational, entertaining, and actionable advice. Fizzo 
is an illuminating deep dive into the art and science of racing. Legends, fan clubs, at the races, super fans, and how it all works. Join Coach Bobby J alongside his outskirts visionary co-host, Gus Morton. Prepare to be prepared. It's time to put your socks on. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sports Most Insightful Podcast. My name is Gus and with me as always, Coach Bobby J and on the wheel, our Vela News producer, Daniel. How's it going, fellas? Welcome listeners to Fizzo. I'm doing great. Should I that jump was in? my next question. Did you guys remember to put your socks on this morning? Oh, of course. You know, you got to synchronize it with your kit. So went riding with George <laughs> today, had uh, one of the Hincapie Ambassador kits on and had to dig deep for the matching pair of socks. But yeah, I was I was looking good today. Do you have high socks, low socks? What are we talking here? No, I'm a mid sock sort of guy. Yeah, George always yells at me like when I wear the little try socks when I'm trying to even Ooh. out the tan lines a little bit. He always questions if I have socks on or not. Bobby, ankle, and... socks, ankle socks are back in. You should tell George that ankle socks are on point. Ankle socks are rude. They're ankle on point, socks though. Are rude. If you're trying to do normcore, <laughs> small, like black shoes, white cotton socks that come just above your ankle, that's where cycling needs to return to. That's what cycling needs to return to. The tall sock thing, <laughs> canceled. Canceled. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you with the tall yeah. sock thing, but the white sock, black shoe thing, I'm not. Should we talk about stage yeah. five, Pismo Beach to Ventura, California? Five categorized climbs with a smorgasbord of snacks scattered in between those. Will the world know what we're talking about when we say snacks? Lucky you'll know, but that's uh, apart from that, probably not. Okay. But uh, do you want me to define what a snack is? Yeah, what's a snack? Well, so for example, like a categorized climb, right, an, H, an HC, it's mm-hmm. like a, a feast, you know? It's like a big, hearty degustation It's a meal. Feast. It's no, it's it's more than that. Like you're gorging yourself, and then you got the cat one, and it's like you overate a bit, and then you've got cat two. You're like, yeah, I'm full. I'm satisfied with that. Cat three, you're like, ah, oh, you know, I could have probably had another sausage. Cat four, you're like, it's just a light lunch. And then there's the uncategorized ones, right? The snacks, and the snacks, <laughs> the snacks are what get you. But yeah, so it was a small, small sport of snacks today. Okay, so my notes here indicate that it was 63 degrees Fahrenheit with some wind, some substantial wind, 25 miles an hour. Yeah. Mostly from from the back, but still windy. Uh, course description says that it was twisty and turny and full of lumps. I think lumps is probably going to be a theme um, for every day. Um, I want mm-hmm. you guys to know that Pismo Beach is known for surfing, including its surfing goats. Do you, uh, do either surfing you- goats? Yeah, I don't know anything about it. The surfing goats. Do you guys know about the surfing goats? No, I do but not. There's a lot of animals. Like it seems like very California. It's like dogs are, you know, surfing dogs is like so California in the '80s. It's goats now. Yeah, right? it's just a gimmick, right? Yeah, but so, we gotta have so a gimmick. LA. So, um, what do you guys think about the value of having um, interests outside of cycling? It's massive. Oh, yeah, gotta have that. Like well, really important. You can't have the yin without the yang, right? Right. I agree. I agree. So, you know, if you can go out there and surf and if you want to surf Pismo Beach, apparently it's a great place to do it. Um, I also have some facts about Ventura, California, which is where it finished. I don't think we can edit all of these out because none of them are that interesting, but we can leave them in if we want to. I think the actual name name of Ventura is San Buenaventura. Didn't pronounce that right. 
Um, it's a gluten-free thing. They have chili peppers. Ghost hunters flock to Ventura. Wait, it's it's gluten-free. No, Wait, you can't just gloss over that. How's the town gluten-free? No, no, it's not that the whole town is gluten-free. It's a, it's a Ventura. Through most of our agriculture happens. Uh, I think. Are uh, you gluten-free? Maybe it was Are invented there. I don't Because if either no, you are gluten-free, this podcast is over. No, sir. I'm I gluten. Yeah, I knew I knew you wouldn't be, Coach Bobby. I'm. Yeah. I avoid gluten. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I'm, I'm not like gluten intolerant, but I'm gluten averse. I don't want to get into yeah, that. Gotcha. all the obvious. Yeah, that sounds Let me talk about yeah. the ghost hunters. Ghost hunters flock to Ventura. Um, I don't know what that's about. I, apparently, there are a lot of ghost hunting excursions. Weird. With some pretty in, like popular, houses, like haunted yeah, properties. like yeah, haunted properties, haunted houses. It's also a gateway to the Channel Islands, which I think was where you. Oh yeah, they're cool. Yeah, Channel you, Islands are cool. You can kayak to them, but you think you get you risk being eaten by a, a great white shark. I think it's oh handy p yeah you're you're yeah. asking for it if you do that yeah you're kind of just below the end of the red triangle there, but you're not that far below it, and that's all I got guys <laughs> that's all I got I got textual I got one I got one fun fact in Ventura right next to the ocean there's a sprint car you know sprint cars they're like dirt tracks, and they still run them. I went in there for my friend's birthday when I used to live down there and um you're like looking out over the ocean and then there's just a bunch of dudes like doing burnouts in the dirt and drinking beer and like yelling and screaming. That's a hooliganism. It's great. It's that the best, man. I, I love that. You know, my favorite thing about Ventura today No. was that it was the finish of the race that we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about... So, you, so yeah, so... so not so, you're, so you're subtly trying to get us on track. Yeah. Before we do that, though, Bobby, do you want to do you, you? I have notes from you. There's two things you'd like to address. One, um, the the where Hincapi's son's name came from, and then two, oh, yeah. and then two. I, apparently, had you been able to make a women's prediction, had we let you do that, you would have nailed it. Yes. So I hate loose ends, and the last podcast you stumped me about the Enzo Hincapi question. So went riding with George today. One of the first questions I asked him was, how did Enzo get his name? And interesting fact, his wife, uh, who is a fantastic human being, uh, was a model at the time. And she went down to, I believe he said Corsica, and her gig or her modeling objective was um, they were hired by the Ferrari company to release the Enzo Ferrari. And when she met George and it got serious, she actually told him that when she had a boy or if she had a boy, she wanted to name him Enzo. And we all know when it comes to naming kids, your wife has the, the first and basically only choice. So there it is. <laughs> you were absolutely right. He was named after the car. Wow, good story there too. I like yeah. how quickly you, you're like, Anyone else might have trouble getting to the bottom of this, but you're like, no, nah, I got this. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, he yeah. happens to live, you know, eight minutes down the road, so that's kind of easy. And then, yeah, you know, you guys kind of cut me off at the end of the episode when we were giving <laughs> predictions, and I would have, I would have named even Cortina. Yeah, so should we stop talking winner. about the stage? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was going to say the the woman, my choice for the women's stage, and we got to talk about that as well, would have been mm. the the lady that won today. Um, because I started looking back at results and, you know, she was world champion last year, Anna Van Vanderbergen. Sorry about that. She may have You're experienced right. a little bit of that, uh, world championship curse. 
And mm -hmm. her first win of the season in the world champion bands was very recently in Flesh Malone. And yep. to me, that was a sign like, okay, you know, she got over that hump and she's going to win the first stage. So, yeah. And, um, and that, that climb towards the finish there was, was pretty savage, right? Where she, where she attacked him. Um, yeah. So sort of similar, little, similar to her last race win. That little schnick snack, I mean, that was tough. That was steep. That yeah. did not look like yeah, fun. Yeah. And by the way, today was the longest stage of the race. I mean, geez, just hitting these guys one after another after another. Today was the <laughs> longest stage of the race. So close to the end. And there being sprint points on the top. I mean, there was no just lollygagging up that thing. It was it was the real deal, exactly like you said, with uh, similar kind of slopes to Flesh Wallone. So good on her. And uh, and then a, a small group behind her, 15 or so riders in that. It's good. I mean, it's a shame we didn't have any television footage of that, to be honest. And I know that there's a big debate raging, you know, equal coverage of, of women's races and some of the European ones have committed to it, Amsterdam Gold, and, and then some haven't. So it would be nice to to think that next year there will be, um, you know, some TV cameras there, and, and we'll be able to switch between the two races. But until that time, we're restricted to updates, text updates, and whatever. But um, yeah, at least yeah. at least as you know, at least as a race. That that was the tricky part for the organizers, right? Is to have two races going on simultaneously, and for a while mm. there with the different courses that they were on with the guys having the tailwind and the girls having to deal with the climbs, the five yeah. categorized climbs and, and coming back into a block headwind, man, it, it seemed like it, they were panicking a little bit. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I hope in the future they, they figure that out, but man, I mean, that that's gotta be difficult. Absolutely. When you're running yeah. two races simultaneously. And the biggest fear for me was that they would have to stop the women to let yeah, the men pass through exactly. like they did quite recently. And, you know, that that's not right. So we got to we got to let these ladies have the, the the open road. And luckily it worked out today. It was just kind of a bummer not to really be able to watch most of the race. Mm, but exactly. Hope, hopefully they'll work on that in the future. Um, but yeah, with the, the stage coming up tomorrow, I didn't, I didn't see, you know, so many of the Americans, uh, well represented in the front, they didn't lose that much time. And yeah, you know, Baldi's a totally different monster tomorrow. So I, I hope we get to see a little bit more of them tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then today the men's stage was just saying it's the longest of the race. It feels like every day has been the longest day, but it was a good, it was cool. It was good. You know, like kind of that twisty turny, you saw guys like everyone's obviously super tired. You know, guys were starting to get hooped, like 70Ks to go. You know, there was a big group off the back on that Cat 1 and with the wind and everything at the start too. So it made for another really hard day. And I think um, tomorrow there's going to be a few a few dead men walking come, come Baldy. Yeah, and maybe before we totally go into details about the stage, we kind of glossed over, mm -hmm. as you coined it very appropriately yesterday, the, the Vanguard yeah. affair, right? First of all, let me let me say this, that after something quite controversial like that, it does seem like the next day is super aggressive racing. Um, I don't know why. I've been involved in a couple protests and a couple incidences yeah. where race, races got delayed. And then the next day, it was just balls to the wall. And today seemed like balls to the wall. But there's, there's one point I don't think we should gloss over, and that mm -hmm. is the situation that happened yesterday. For me, that was just wrong, totally wrong. 100%. I've been talking to yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 
I've been talking to people. I support TJ. I support EF. I love seeing an American in the yellow jersey. But I've been talking to some people that definitely support TJ that mentioned to me something very, very interesting that I'd like to, to share. Yeah. It's maybe a little controversial. Maybe I'll, you know, get kicked off this podcast. But for me, every single person on the planet saw what happened. Mm-hmm. As a knowledgeable person about cycling, we know the rules, right? They used to have the 1K to the finish rule, and then they said, hey, let's move that out to 3K. And, you know, that seemed to make more sense. I think we all definitely agree that that was correct. But bottom line is there was video proof that he was not in that group when that crash happened at 3.4K or 3.5K, whatever. You know, I I, I really respected what uh, Gavaria did in the Giro the other day. Uh, when, yep. when Viviani was disqualified, he was yep. quite surprised. He went up on the podium, you know, he had his hands behind his back. He realized that, you know, he was making a statement and to mm. me, you know, I loved that guy before, but maybe he wasn't so correct because I did see the video footage of that. And Viviani definitely veered into the path of that, uh, Trek Segrafedo rider that maybe impaired him, impeded him from winning the yeah. race. But you know, I love TJ Van Garderen. He races so great over here in America. He's been around a while. I mm-hmm. just really think it would have been amazing if he said straight up, you know what? I totally expected to lose the jersey. Uh, yeah. Rules are rules. I wasn't there. You know, of course he has to respect the jury's decision. But yeah, I didn't and, like, and that's exactly I didn't, right. Like, because it wasn't about him. That's the thing. Like, this this whole argument, like, it's not about TJ Van Garderen, and it should that should be kept separate. It's about the fact that the rules, are, you know, well, they're not even they're not clear. Can you imagine if somebody would have stood up and said that? I think yeah, that would I mean, that that for me would have been like more important than winning the race. Is standing up for the simple fact that we do have rules. Um, he mm-hmm. was on the wrong side of that rule, which was kind of reversed. He accepted the rule yep. from the jury. But just to make that statement, the UCI is our national governing body. They make the rules. They're the boss. And they were wrong Yeah, exactly. Here. Wait, can I, ask a, here. can I ask a question? Who, who, yep. would, who would stand up? Like, a, like an athlete, a writer, a director? TJ. Like, TJ. We're talking about TJ Van Garderen. Right. No, but um, he, he has to. Like he yeah. should stand up and say something because he's at the center of this, right? He's the one who stood to benefit the most, and uh, like rightly or wrongly. And again, like I said, it's not his fault or his decision or anything like that. But he, being in that position, being the race leader as well, I think, um, because it's a rider's rights thing too, right? Like he's on he's on the positive side of that one day, and then he might be on the other side of it the other day. And if there's no consistency to it, right? Then like it's like it's not the thing. The issue I have with it, right, is it doesn't respect the athletes. You know what I mean? Because it's like, they're the ones out there riding. They're the ones trying to conform to the rules. And they're the ones that the rules are set up to protect and to contain, right? And then if people who weren't even in the race, who aren't subject to these rules themselves, then just decide to arbitrarily change them, you know, there's like, it's like, well, what are we doing? You know, what are we as athletes doing? Like, what power do we have? You know, we're just monkeys in a monkeys we, in a cage like can you just get to do what you want or 
I, I think that we need to respect the people that make the rules. And today they took a step back. But this is not unprecedented. Back in 2007, this happened in a very similar situation with Levi Leipheimer, American rider yeah, coming right. into his hometown. You know, something happened. I totally forget. I was in the race. I totally forget. But we're sitting it's there going like, like, what's going on here? Right? I don't want to make this a negative narrative because I, if, if I was in TJ's situation, I don't know if I'd be able to stand up. But I think riders need to yeah, start exactly, yeah. standing up for what's right and what's wrong. We still have to accept and we will accept what the UCI commissaires say. But I just think that TJ missed an opportunity there to become a legend and say, I, I benefited from this. It wasn't right. We're moving on. And he obviously did. And his team obviously did. But no one wants to feel like, you know, they slipped one under the carpet. And for that's, sure, that, that's sure, all I'm sure. going to say about that. TJ, I love you. Um, I don't know if there's anyone that could have done that in that moment. But, man, if yeah. this does happen again, I, I, I really hope that, that a team manager, a team owner, supports a rider saying something like this. Because... Mm. The riders need a voice. We know what's right and wrong. These guys are brothers. You know, yeah, when you're in the race, you're, you're at war. You're at war with your brothers, and you have to respect that. And what happened there was very unfortunate, but it happened. And, you know, it definitely fell to his side. And, you know, I, I read a, an article today that, that made me think about this whole thing. And, mm -hmm. yeah, I hope it's not just because he's American. But moving on. TJ, I love you. Um, EF, great, great job. Uh, the whole entire Peloton, thank you very much for moving past this, putting it in mm. the rearview mirror, and giving us the best stage that we've seen of the Amgen Tour of California so far, in my opinion. I was going to see if this was a good time to bring Superfan in. Is, is he live with us again? He's live with us again. He's got some questions for, for, let's for you guys. Let's not keep him waiting. Let's, let's not keep him waiting. Let's get him in here. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, good. Listen, today was such a fun stage to watch. Tomorrow, we got, you know, some climbing, some little scrawny uphillers are going to showcase for us. But today, it was all about the big boys, and I just loved mm. it. Wind, the big ones on the front. Uh, we had Tim DeClerc launching from the break. It was just, ugh. if you were over six foot tall, today was the day. Looking back on your careers, who were some of the, the, the big boys that you guys really appreciated or um, who were some of your favorite guys that rode in the wind in service of you or um, your teammates? Who was the biggest body you like to get behind in the wind? Uh, I'll take that one. For me, it was Mr. Jens Vogt. Uh, that guy was, for me, just a safety blanket. When, when I won Paris-Nice in 2005, wherever I needed to go, Jens would take me there. And, you know, he'd kick out into the wind, he'd be there on the climbs. You know, on the descents, we weren't the, neither of us were the best descenders, but, you know, we didn't really have to worry about that. But he was one of those guys that, that I just trusted. And, you know, I think any, everyone in the Peloton trusted, you wanted to get into a breakaway with this guy because he was, you know, so tall, he gave such a good draft, he worked so hard, kept the group motivated. Um, and then another one that I would have to say for me uh, would be Nikki Sorensen. Nikki Sorensen was oh, yeah. the first ever roommate that I had when I went to CSC 
in like December of 2003 for the 2004 season. And he was one of those guys that would just kill for you. And, you know, that did not go unappreciated or unnoticed. Um, there's a lot of big guys that, you know, I didn't really have to, to worry about, uh, you know, in the classics because, you know, I wasn't ever in those races. But if I had Jens Vogt and Nikki Sorensen in front of me in every, any sort of crosswind situation in any of the stage races I was doing, I was very, very happy, very comfortable. If you had to make a list of, you know, maybe not even teammates, just guys over the years that just watching them ride, who who would be some of the top guys you you put on your all star team of over six footers? Your basketball team, we'll say. Tom Bonin, there, George yeah. Hinkapi, George Hinkapi, yeah. probably n above Tom Bonin. Did you ever race with Baxter? Magnus Baxter. Magnus, yes, of course, Magnus. Magnus in his he prime. He looked like a bit of a beast. Yeah. Yeah. Magnus in his prime, he could he could do damage. But um, you know, riding in the wind is not all about being the big tall guys. Um, it's it's about, you know, technique and you know, being able to think about that tractor trailer philosophy. Like, you know, not just the cab has to get through that little yeah, gap. Great analogy. You know, the it's the guys behind them that matter. And when, when, when you go through a gap and you can get through the gap, that's great. But wait a mm. second, who's on your wheel that you're trying to protect? So those guys had a very, very good sense of that tractor trailer mentality that I don't need to get through the gap. I need to get two or three guys that are Bam following me gap. behind yeah. that gap. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, in, in history, when you look at, you know, riding on the front in the wind, um, you know, George, Bonin, Magnus, uh, those guys all go to the top of the list for sure. Um, are any standout days that you can remem remember from your career, like where you, where you um, kind of came through in a, in the clutch there for for a teammate? I've got only one, um, and it was for me, um, or at least only one memorable one, um, was the last stage of the Tour of Utah uh, in 2016. Yeah, 2016, and Lockie had lost the yellow jersey the day before and um, and we, you know, we sort of like, we finished the stage and he and I were in the bus by ourselves and it was sort of like, oh, that's it. Like, you know, we tried, fuck it, it didn't work. And then we get back to the hotel and, uh, and you know, we're doing our normal tech or, and he's sort of sitting there and he's like, oh, it's just one more day. I guess I'll put my, you know, I guess I'll do my stretching and I guess I'll put my normal tech on and then, and then he's sort of like, ah, oh, fuck it, let's just go for it tomorrow. You know, like, let's send it. And so we came up with this plan. We, like, called the coach into our like, – called the director into our room. We're like, here's our plan. Like, we're going to, to send it. We're going to put, like, two guys in the break. Oh, like, we came, came up with this plan. And um, and then, like, one thing about Lockie is he loves to ride at the back of the bunch. Right. DFL, like, very back of the bunch. Just so dangerous and, and like, you know, <laughs> it was hard and stressful. But – Anyway, so we start the stage, DFL, and it instantly splits. Like, instantly splits. There's like a massive gap. And it's just like Lockie and I and about, I don't know, like 15 other people, so not many. And then the entire peloton just sprinting away. And we're just like, oh, fuck. We have cooked it. Anyway, long story short, we battle, we get back in, and then it splits up, and I got into the break. And then, um, then the yellow jersey, who was... Um, 
uh, I can't think of his name right now. He's he's gone to triathlon. Um, anyway, the, the leader of the race had, was then in front of Locke, had gone up the road. So I had to like stop on the side of the road from the break, go back, like watch the watch the yellow jersey go past, kind of stand on the side of the road. Then Lockie comes up and like there's no one left. It's just Lockie and like uh, and like we had no teammates. And so then we were just riding, and it was a really really hard crosswind. Um, and that was one of those days, like we got, you know, we got him back to the bottom of the climb and, and the rest is history. But it was just like, it was a hundred, it was a hundred K stage. And like all of these stories played out, you know, you went from being like in the first five Ks to being like, it's gone. We've got no hope to then getting back in and then being in, you know, and then, and then the plan starting to work and you're like, hell yeah. And then getting called over the radio, like you've got to actually stop on the side of the road because like he's got no one and we're about to lose, you know, and then to have it pay off and, and him come through with the, with the goods and win the stage is like, that's, those are the moments, right? That's what makes sport really great. It, it was a, it was a team effort. There was so much passion involved from everybody, you know, like all of these people give their all, you know, and and you don't like no one remembers who who they were. Like no one remembers Tito or you know Ben Wolf yeah. or any of those guys who rode the, their asses off. And or the guy who or the guy who went to triathlon, you know, no one remembers yeah. his name. I mean, <laughs> isn't that what you want? I, I yeah. Unless it's Cameron yeah, exactly. Worth that you're talking about. No, it's not worthy. It's um, I can't believe I can't think of his name. He's, it's the guy that rode for, for Slipstream. Yeah, yeah. Um, Talansky. Oh, yeah. My apologies, Talansky. So, do you think um, that? Do you think that stage forced him into early retirement and 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 uh, led to, you know, him probably decimating the triathlon world? I think. Well, I think no. I think he went from that and came like fifth at the Welter. So he was like on a roll. Um, but yeah, I hope that wasn't. I hope that wasn't the case. <laughs> He's quite great. He's a nice bloke. <laughs> Thank you, super fan. Again, as always. Mm, yeah. Always great, great questions. And uh, I don't know. I got a little goosebump there with that that great story there, there, Gus. Uh, yeah. Especially I've doing been, it for your too. brother. I'm sweating. Yeah, exactly right. And that was another cool thing, like being able to do that to race like when when we when he moved back to the world tour and and i couldn't get there for me so much of like my reason for being a bike racer was gone after that you know so like oh yeah we had this time we did this thing um we won you know we won a few races and like we got to have that experience but for me that was my attraction to the sport like not i never really wanted to win when i came back i never really wanted to win myself that much i just wanted to be part of the story and kind of like be involved in the process of bike racing just because I'm a fan and I love it. Like I love doing it. And so, yeah, when he went, like it was sort of like, okay, I've done that now. Time to get out of here and do something else. Superfan kind of kicked us right into the today, the show's theme today, right? Mm, yeah. I mean, we kind of, you kind of already did some of that. What is the, what is the official theme of today's show? The official theme of today's show is ride in the front. Right, and I think uh, riding the front is the, is is an, is it's the gravity of bike riding. It's inevitable. It doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are. There's going to be a point where you're riding the front, and a lot of the times it's on terrain that's not suited to you. You know, <laughs> you're going to be a guy like me trying to ride the front on the climb, or you're going to be a guy like Aguida having to pull on the on the flat. Right, um, Bobby. Tell us, tell us about the art of riding the front. We sort of touched on it a bit now, but there's a lot to it, right? Oh yeah, I mean, there's so many different scenarios as well. Let's let's talk about let's talk about letting the brake go. 
you know, it, it all comes to that when you, you know that bike racing that you can't just cover everything and you can't ride tempo all mm. day long. So you have to let a breakaway go, but there yeah. is an art form to that. And, you know, you have to be very, you know, very, I guess, assertive, you know, when you're, when you have the yellow Jersey, it gives you a different sort of, uh, power in the Peloton. Mm -hmm. It gives you a certain confidence and yeah, you're not starting DFL. You're on that front line. <laughs> you're on that front line, you know, hit, you know, slapping each other high fives and getting stoked because you know, you're about to go to war together. And mm. once, once the, the kite drops, you know, you kind of got to take over and then allow the race to unfold because yeah, you need a breakaway to go up there. So, but you have to be very selective. You need to know who's yeah. dangerous, right? Yeah. And if there's and then that, how much, how big, and how much leash you can give him. Yeah, but I mean, just that 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 first period of ascertaining who's dangerous, yeah. and allowing them to go away slowly. Because, like, if you just let yeah. a break of three or four guys go, and you just pull over to the side of the road and you act like you're just interested then what's going to happen? Guys are going to start pinging again. And then before yeah. you know it, maybe there's somebody that's, that's dangerous in that group. So not only do you have to be assertive and know who's dangerous, if, if that group is getting too big, you know, they're attacking on one side of the road. When you guys are riding in a line on the other, you need to swing over and basically use the other's speed to kind of basically mm. pull you along. So without them knowing it, you're actually in the slipstream and when they finally turn around and look back, then they're like, oh, okay, you know, they're not letting me go. Um, but the yeah. most important thing is is closing down those those dangerous moves quickly. But you got to remember that not everybody is totally G'd up for the start of the race. So it, it's an art form for sure. But once that breakaway gets like 20 or 30 seconds, then you can just start to ease off the pedals. You don't want to stop until they have at least a minute or, you know, yeah, at least a minute, I would say. And then you need to sit there and set tempo for a while just to say, hey, we are still in control. We are still being assertive. Yeah. We allowed these guys to go off and good luck to them. And then just settle into that, that rhythm, right? It's very much like a team time trial, just, you know, pulling through, swinging off, getting to the back, letting, you know, all the teammates, you know, hopefully you don't have, you know, two or three different leaders that, you know, out of a, mm. out of, out of a team of seven. So there's only four of you yes. swapping off, but, you know, just keeping that speed nice and consistent. Just to make an analogy, like what, cause that, that first part of the race, it's like doing an hour of crit racing because you're just constantly chasing stuff and closing stuff down. And then you're expected to just do a team's time trial then for the next 150k or whatever it is it's a really isn't it like that that first hour can be so intense and you, you're jumping around so much and then you're like i'm completely cooked and then it's like well break's gone radio get in the front and just keep it at two minutes and then bring it back like i think that point's missed a lot of people miss or don't, or don't fully understand like just how intense that first hour is and then transferring that right you completely zap into just being the diesel yeah and that first hour being that intense is that team letting someone dangerous go up the road or mm. somebody dangerous going up the road. That's not maybe dangerous to that team. That's in the GC lead, but somebody else. And, you know, yeah. basically in every bus before every stage, the directors are like, we want someone in the break. 
And if you're not in the break, like old school, if you miss the break, you're going on the front. It could be the first attack where everything's like, you know, a-okay, clunky dory Everyone's like, yep, that's it. But man, oh man, like you're talking about that hour, hour and a half, even two. I've been in a race where the yeah. break was full on for two hours. And you're just jumping. Yeah. Everyone's just <sighs> taking pot shots at you. You're trying to be assertive. You're trying to establish, you know, leadership. And no yeah. one's respecting that. Yeah, Yenzi was a perfect example of that when when he had enough, he would just basically take off and go into the breakaway himself. Like, screw this, I'm not setting tempo anymore. I'm gonna put the put the hurt <laughs> to these guys. So, th so that's letting the break go. Riding tempo, I think is a pretty, pretty simple thing. You know, you're just up there swapping off and staying hydrated and, and fueling correctly and just kind of setting an overall tempo, keeping the gap. But yeah. the really- And, that, the and really that, that might be like just one or two guys, right? It, it might not be, your, like it might not be six out of seven or five out of seven, it'll just be, that can kind of be done with a couple of guys, right? Right, exactly. And, you know, as a director, you're looking at the phenotype of each rider, you're looking at the form of mm -hmm. each rider, and you're like, hey, where where are we going to burn our matches? Because we only have so many in the matchbox. And, yeah. you know, these guys, you know, as, as, as tough as it sounds, may be a little bit expendable, and we're going to let yep. them ride to the climb, and then at the climb, these guys have to take over. And that's the tough yep. part, right, is when you're asking a guy that rides on the flats to actually maintain that sort of pace going uphill. And, yeah. you know, that's where you see guys doing their last pull, swinging off to the side of the road and basically stopping. And then, then yep. the little climbers take over, and then, you know, the GC guy is hopefully protected. But kind of moving that this whole discussion over to what we actually saw in the race today, with, yeah, definitely. With Bahrain Mereda, right? Like, I'm sitting yep. there walk, saying, wait a second, who do they have that's going to yeah, beat exactly. these guys in the sprint? But man, that was the way you do it, right? Yep. Not only did they 100%. do it correctly, they brought the gr group back. And, you know, I'm sitting there going through the start list, going, hey, you know, wh who's their sprinter here? You know, what, yeah, what, why really are they cool. doing that? But man, they went balls to the wall. And they yep. brought the group back, and then what happened? The bet, the only thing that matters when you put your team on the front is can you finish it off? And what happened? They were able to finish but, it off. So man, and like that's a lot of pressure, right? Like having the the team ride for you in that in that way to be able to then finish it off is is impressive, right? I I think a sprinter gets his motivation from that because, yep. like I said these guys are brothers and when you see an entire team just absolutely burying themselves and mm. you, it gives you wings man i mean I, I wasn't a sprinter so i never know knew what that actually felt like but i think that's what 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 he said today after in in his interview was like i got my yeah. strength from those guys but hey you know that's a perfect scenario which you know works perfectly for our theme but how many yeah. times do you see a team i was on a team uh team telecom we had a spr sprinter named eric zobel and mm -hmm. in the tour de france in 2002 uh first stage was in luxembourg and let's just say luxembourg is not flat it's very very lumpy and myself kevin livingston uh giuseppe garini all the climbers uh, yeah. who, who who got called up who was expendable <laughs> on that day i'll give you a guess so we went up and we, we set tempo and we controlled the race and and eric didn't win he got second yeah. because it was this amazing attack by this guy i forget his name i think his name was bertolini 
uh, from That's Lamprey. That's right. Giraffe is suited. Oh, Lamprey. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, he yeah, attacked yeah. up the final little burg in the uh, old Luxembourg city, and Eric couldn't get him. And, you know, I said, wait a second. I did my job. And then after the finish, um, Eric came in the bus and kind of mm. just didn't say anything to anybody. And, yeah. you know, so so there's that time when you are that guy that pulls on the front for 100K, 150K, 200K. Yeah. Your sprinter wins, and it's it, it's champagne, it's it's high fives, it's hugs, it's great. But then but when, when you do that happen. same thing, and even if he gets second, you know it's a totally different feeling. But you it's know, almost more heartbreaking. It is, but like you still gave a hundred percent. The sprinter still gave a hundred percent. You just came up short. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not all a fairy tale. I mean, this this sport is is uh, is is brutal. And, um, you know, great to Bahrain Mereda today, finishing yeah, that off really and segueing in perfectly into our, our segment of riding on the front, because that was, exactly. that was the way you do it. Yeah. And grab the bull by the horns, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Let's should talk we talk about Mount Baldy? Yeah. You know, there's that, that kind of big climb tomorrow that we should maybe, Ooh, maybe, yeah. me, maybe mention a little bit. Uh, mm. let's start, let's start with the women, you know, the women stage yeah. two from on, Ontario to Mount Baldy, 46 yeah. miles, 74, 74 kilometers. K. Um, they have a little bit better of a parkour in my opinion than the men, because the men yeah. basically goes straight uphill, right? The, yeah. the ladies tomorrow, yeah. they have a, you know, a little bit of time to warm up. So I don't think they need to be on the turbo trainers. The guys, I would definitely say, if you have turbo too, trainers, yeah. you, you better get on those. So, yeah. you know, they have a sprint at the bottom of the first climb, uh, Glendora Mountain Road, which yep. uh, that that KOM is about, what, 25 miles just, into yeah. the race? And, just... but it, it's, it's, a bit, it's a doozy. I mean, there's no doubt. And I think- Yeah, and then it's the just top, straight up from there. Yeah, you know, they have that those little couple rollers and little tiny descents and, you know, very narrow roads with the sheer kind of drop off to your left. I mean, it's beautiful. That 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 road yeah, up there is stunning. beautiful. But, you know, once you get to the base of Mount Baldy, um, yep. there, there's no hiding. You know, you can use your teammates, you know, for a little bit. But, I mean, that climb at that gradient at that altitude is definitely going to be tricky. So, you know, the women have, you know, today's race was, you know, not televised. Hopefully we'll see a little bit more tomorrow. Yeah. And it'll be quite interesting to to see if Vandenbergen can actually, you know, get up that sort Hang of on climb. To it. Yeah. 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 And, and, and hopefully exactly we'll see, and hopefully we'll see some American ladies go up there and give it a go. Um, it's, it's. You know, a climbing stage, so that distance will take a lot longer than you would normally expect. And let's just hope for good weather and you know, you know, a safe race for everyone. Exactly right. I think it's going to be great. It's going to be another good day. And 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 again, like for the women today, although we didn't get to see it, uh, it, it sounded like a really exciting stage and and an aggressive stage. And hopefully tomorrow is the same. You know, there's plenty of opportunities in both the men's and women's race to, to, to send that long bomb to just, just throw caution to the wind and, and, and send it. And hopefully we see a bit of that. Um, and yeah, it's going to be good. And moving on to the men, 
uh, 79.2 miles, 127.5 kilometers. Um, you know, they basically have 8.4 K or I'm sorry, 8.5 miles before like the first intermediate sprint, which I don't think is really going to be that big of a deal tomorrow, but they're basically climbing, uh, right from the gun, from the go. Yeah. Yeah. From the gun. Yeah. And you know, when you have that sort of start after the longest stage, three other 200 plus stages and, you know, a very hard race, um, you better have good legs from the start. If, if it, if it gets a little, you know, scrappy there at the beginning. So I'm sure guys are going to be doing a good warm up. Um, you know, starting with, you know, that top of the first climb is at 17 miles. That is Glendora Ridge road. And Mm -hmm. that's going to be, that's, that's kind of like the first sign, like, Hey, am I good today or not? And, you know, there's going to be guys that are great that are breathing with two fingers in their nose up that climb. But then there's going to be other guys that are kind of getting the diesel, just kind of turn turning over a little bit. I'm not saying that you can get dropped on that climb, but you don't necessarily have to take the sensations that you have on that first climb as the way it's going to be the rest of the time. Because exactly after, right. Like it could be taking a while to get in your groove, right? You could have a, a shocking first half and then and then come good. And vice versa, be like, oh yeah, I'm doing all right in this first climb, and then just run out of gas, you know, 50 yeah. miles later. But you have 35 miles before the next sprint, which is basically the base mm-hmm. of of the the second category one climb, which is in Glendora yeah. Mountain. And that's kind of the Gl- windy downhill trending road. Um, but it'll still be some single file in a bunch and and it'll be quite fast. Yeah. Um, let's just say it's not big, wide roads. Uh, the descent is tricky. I remember the road surface yeah. not being super. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. then from, from there, you know, from there on, you're climbing. And you're climbing yeah. all the way to uh, 2,000 meters on the top of Mount Baldy. So let's just, let's just talk a little bit about that transition between the last, the second category one climb which is glendora mountain yep. road glendora road and yep. and and the bottom of mount baldy you know we th- those roads are are, are narrow they're yep. um you know you need to have teammates there right uh as yeah, many exactly as right. many as you can but let's face it when you get to the bottom of mount baldy uh you know what you're facing we've done this 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 climb before it's you know yep. at altitude again um you know who performed well at altitude. We kind of know that already, but that was a little bit different climb. This is, this is punchy. And it's at the end, you know, the, the second to last stage of the Amgen tour California. So we're going to see a few different players come in to, uh, to action here. I noticed today yeah, exactly, and a little I, bit yesterday yeah. that Richie port was suddenly riding a little bit further in the front like he had the guys like right behind uh the group that was pulling yesterday today he kind of showed himself uh yeah they were riding for a bit like kind of just keeping him out when it got a bit crosswindy right so they've they've been sniffing around that is for sure yeah yeah uh it'll be interesting to see because i mean obviously he's he's a fantastic climber that we we haven't seen so much of in this race but you can never count a guy like that Mm. out but no um my 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 pick for the day is um, Mr. Higuita. The way that he was able to cover, the, the way that he was, a, because, you know, TJ crashed yesterday. He yep. doesn't have that real explosive 
capability. We all know that yeah, he can yeah, sit yeah. there right at his, you know, he's a diesel, right? Those accelerations yeah. hurt. And today on that, that short, steep climb, obviously it's a little bit different because it was only, you know, less than a kilometer long, but you can see yep. he was, he was suffering a little bit, but that's, yep. that's the beauty of having three guys that can go uphill so fast and so many cards to play because now TJ's in first, Haguita is in sixth or seventh, and even Rigoberto Uran yeah. is in the Uran's top ten. Uran's in tenth. Yeah. So th uh, they they have the cards to play. They absolutely have the cards to play. So it'll be very interesting. But I think that um, Haguita will be at the service of TJ. Um, yeah. But but then he's going to have to cover a a move that maybe mm. TJ won't be able to cover at that moment. And I'm not saying that TJ will lose the GC. But I think that Higuita has all the capabilities of, of winning the stage on top of Mount Baldy tomorrow. Who's your pick? Yeah, I think I, yeah, I, that, that was a good, like, watching him today, I, that started to creep into my mind, right, was that, you know, uh, the, the lieutenant might perform a little better than the captain on the climb um, tomorrow. But we'll see. I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a good pick. I, look, like, Pogacar, um I think, like, I mean, he's, he seems to go well at altitude, and he's kind of kept his powder pretty dry. Um, another team, like you saw them kind of on the front when it started getting a bit crosswindy today, and so they're, they're very motivated to keep him up there, obviously. So he's he's doing all right. So, I mean, I think him, or I think, obviously, Bennett's been um, been super aggressive. Uh, but that, you know, I don't know, it's a, it's a hard one. Like, um, this climb, I think you've got to be pretty dynamic. And uh, and a bit explosive, so he might he might not he might come unstuck a bit there. But yeah, so I think I'm going to go with Pogacar with an outsider of of Port. You can never discount Port, and, and and if he's on this climb, suits him really well. One 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 question: Do you think that Casper Askring has the ability to climb that sort of climb, which is a little bit well, a lot different than what he had to deal mm. with? in in lake tahoe do you think do you think he has a chance because i mean he's only four seconds back and like stranger things have happened right like he's really done uh an incredible ride this week and look like you know the, like like board, the board stage tomorrow it's a strange day you're on the pedals all day as you said it's been a long week and so sometimes these bigger guys you know, they either completely fall apart or they can kind of, they can get around it and they can, and they can have a good performance. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so, but I would like to see it uh, because, you know, it's a new face and sort of throwing a bit of a spanner in the works, but I, yeah, I don't reckon. Yeah. I think everyone is pretty much pegged into where they are in this race for a reason, because it has been a long, yeah. hard fought race. Um, but yeah, who has that extra little bit left in the tank for that sort of climb at that sort of altitude, that sort of pitch, that sort of road surface. And, mm. you know, you know, not hopefully not crashes, but, you know, flat tires or broken spokes on those road conditions can definitely, you know, come into play. And that's, that's where I think that EF has the advantage because they, they do have the numbers. Yeah. And that's exactly it, right? Like, especially if it gets a bit windy across the top, you know, you're pretty exposed up there, and if it's a hot sort of windy day, or you can really, uh, you can you can cook out there. It's it's pretty harsh. So it's going to be a great day, nonetheless. And I think the whole week's been building up towards this day, um, and I, I can't wait. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I think that's the show, fellas. Um, 
unfortunately, have got no texts from inside the race. I think everyone's in bed asleep, pretty exhausted after today and after the week. Um, I'd like to thank the listeners again. We're getting great feedback from everybody. Thank you very much for following along. Go to Velo News, subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and all of that. Um, once again, I remember to put my socks on this, this morning. Hope you guys did too. Catch you later. Nice one. Nice, guys. That was fun. Yeah. News Voices is a new multimedia platform featuring a collection of cycling luminaries, each with their own distinct point of view and channel. Coaches, athletes, movers and shakers, visionaries, the old guard, the new guard, the vanguard. News Voices is how and where the story of our sport is being told now and into the future. Fizzo is hosted by Bobby J and Gus Morton. Produced by Manual for Speed, edited by Eddie Rogers, and a special thanks to our anonymous superfan. Don't forget to share, follow, and subscribe on SoundCloud. And and this was, by the way, it was the same uh, uh, commissar that disqualified Sagan. And you know, oh, they, was it? They, you weren't bullshitting. No, 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 no. Um, but they are our governing body, and you know, let's face it, we're not the only sport that has this issue. You you guys watched the uh, the horse race last weekend, yeah. right? Like, how fucked up yep. was that? You know, like, wait mm. a second, like, okay, it's not a clear cut science, but here it kind of was